Our Heavenly Father, we are most grateful for this evening that you have called forth. And we are also thankful that you have established our steps here tonight. And that for the purpose, Lord, that we would open your word, we would hear it taught, and we would receive from it that which will sanctify us more into the image of your eternal Son. Father, we trust in you, therefore, for the grace that we need to this end. We pray that the teaching of your word will therefore come to us effectually and be received and heard effectually. And this for the sake and the honor of Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, take God's word and let's turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. I'm going to be reading one verse of Scripture out of Proverbs 18. So we consider tonight what I'm calling the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's read that once more. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. So reads the infallible, the inerrant word of the living God. There is no subject in the book of Proverbs which covers more content than the use of our tongue and how we communicate to others. There are some 90 verses in Proverbs concerning this matter. This means that how we use our words carries more weight in Proverbs than subjects like family, money, or sex. Clearly, by God's wisdom, the way in which we employ our words matters more than what we perhaps realize. And so as we return to our present studies in the book of Proverbs, I want us this evening to look at what God's practical wisdom book teaches us about the power of the tongue. Our driving text for this biblical theme is the aforementioned Proverbs 18, verse 21, which says, again, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. On the surface, what this statement is asserting about the use of our words may sound over the top, but it is not hyperbole. The death and life referred to is not clinical, but relational. And the great point of this proverb is that our words have the power to either bring life or death to our relationships. This is why for those who love to communicate, they must be careful, Solomon tells us, in how they communicate because either way we will eat the consequences of our words. So what then does God's word in the book of Proverbs teach us in how to navigate with the use of our words? What is the wisest way for us to speak? Principally, the book of Proverbs shows us three ways in which to wisely use our words. Beginning first with this. Our words should be used in a thoughtful way. Our words should be used in a thoughtful way. In Proverbs 15, 28, we read, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Not only do we see here a contrast between the righteous and the wicked, which is a contrast between believers and unbelievers, but, but the emphatic contrast in this text is between considered speech and rash talk. For the believer in Christ, it is assumed that before they open their mouth, they have pondered first what to say and how to say it. 
This is assuming, of course, if God's people are walking in wisdom, which sadly is not always the case. More often than not, we tend to speak before we think, and thus, like the fool, our words may gush forth like a raging torrent, leaving many casualties in our wake. And so what we must take in from Proverbs 15:28 is how well chosen our words need to be. This means then that we need to be, as James tells us, quicker to listen and slower to speak. And while we're listening, we should be praying and asking the Lord for the wisdom to know how to answer. It takes no grace to speak thoughtlessly and recklessly. As one writer noted about proverbial fools, only the fool speaks in haste without contemplating the potential implications and ramifications of his words. Only the fool has enough misplaced confidence in his or her own wisdom to trust in the value of whatever unedited thoughts may come to mind. It is clearly this kind of speech we want to avoid at all costs as God's people. Yet due to remaining sin, even the best of Christians can speak in haste with no prior reflection as to what their words will produce. And we need to remember there is no rewind function on our words. Once they leave our mouth, we can't truly take them back. This is why it takes much grace to patiently listen and ponder what is being said and seeking the Lord for the wisdom to respond in the right way. Asking the Lord to give you the right words in any given situation is a sign of great and high spiritual maturity. On the one hand, it shows humility, since you realize that in yourself you don't have the wisdom to know what words to give that will, in fact, bring life. On the other hand, it shows love for the other person, since you desire their edification and not their harm. But in the ultimate sense, doing all to the glory of God is the end for which we're to do all things, therefore, to ponder how to answer as opposed to speaking with no care or thought for the consequences of our words, honors Christ and displays the wisdom our Lord has given his people. So then before we speak, before we speak, we must prayerfully ponder first what words will be the best and most well-chosen for the occasion. Again, Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Our words should be used in a thoughtful way. In the second place, our words should be used in a timely way. Our words should be used in a timely way. In Proverbs fifteen twenty three, we read, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. By an apt answer and a word in season, the point of this proverb is expressing the great joy one benefits from in giving the most effective, appropriate answer in a specific circumstance. Now think about this. It is possible to say the right thing at the wrong time. It is also possible to say the right thing in the wrong way. What is needed, therefore is the God-given wisdom to speak the right word at the right time in the right way. This is what Proverbs 15.23 is emphasizing. In addition to this proverb, there's also Proverbs 25 and verse 11, where we are told a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A well-timed, Suitable word to a given circumstance carries the stark beauty of a well-crafted setting of silver cradling apples of gold. As pleasing as such a work of art is like this to the eye, it is equally pleasing to the ear when someone communicates a word befitting the listener 
and their circumstances. So then, when we think about the use of our words, the wisdom of God teaches us that timeliness is critical. Timeliness is critical. How suitable and appropriate is it for me to say thus and such to this person about what I may believe is a pressing matter? While what I have to say is true, it may not be the right time. It may not be the right time. This is why we need to remember what Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 7 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then look at this, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. If this passage teaches us anything, it is that there are no words suitable for every single occasion. No, there is a time to keep silent. There is a time to keep silent. This is why Proverbs teaches us that when it comes to what we say, less is more. Less is more. Proverbs 17, 27 tells us that whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Restraining our words doesn't mean we should never open our mouth. But it is praising the prudence given by the wise with their words. When we're walking in God's wisdom, we will know how, by God's grace, to show self-control and caution with our words. We will know when to hold back. We will know that now is not the time to speak despite how truthful our words may be. In fact, we will remember that according to Proverbs 17 and verse 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So then even fools hide their foolishness when they restrain their lips. How much more then do we as God's people prevent disaster when we choose to be silent instead of saying the right thing at the wrong time? Adding further layers to this divine wisdom, we need to also recall the strong admonition in Proverbs 29 and verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty? In his words, there is more hope for a fool than for him. Having touched on the folly of hasty speech in the previous principle, it needs to be revisited even here in the present point concerning this need to restrain our words. So let's take heed to this warning. Since death and life are in the power of the tongue, then hasty speech is a powder keg for calamity. This is because with hasty speech, we speak without a filter and end up not only hurting others, but even ourselves in the process. With hasty speech, we speak thoughtlessly and give no consideration to the person or the circumstances we're entering with our communication. This is because we're so certain that we're right that we end up, therefore, stating our case without contemplation or consultation, regardless that there may be that, those present who know far more and better than we do. This is where Proverbs 18 and verse 13 is so helpful. When we're given one side of a story without the other side to verify. Proverbs 18, verse 13, Solomon teaches us, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. How often have we drawn conclusions to people in circumstances where only hearing from one side to then end up eating crow when the whole story contradicts our hasty conclusion? This is a real consequence that many Christians experience who answer a matter quickly 
with no consideration that there is a larger story connected to this single slice they've been told. But the greater point to all of this is the wise and biblical necessity to restrain our words. Pressing this point even further, consider what we're told in Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The default position from this text, which God's wisdom teaches in the use of our words, is to say no more than is necessary. To say no more than is necessary. For Christians whose natural temperament is to be talkative, and I don't know who that is, but anyway, I keep going on. For Christians whose natural temperament is to be talkative, this is obviously a great challenge. But it is equally challenging for the Christian who is wired as an introvert, since whenever they do choose to speak, they need to be just as guarded and careful with how they use what few words they would offer. The grace then to restrain our lips applies to every Christian since we are all prone to do great damage with our tongues despite whatever our natural temperament may be. I have known introverts who have quite literally destroyed churches. That's right. I know that firsthand. And it wasn't the extrovert. It wasn't Mr. or Mrs. Talkative. It was the one who didn't talk all that much. What is this telling us? It's telling us that the flesh in the extrovert and the introvert is no different. It's no different. It rebels against God's word and thereby defies God's wisdom. So then we all need the wisdom of God to navigate our steps with knowing when it is time to speak and when it is time to keep silent. And again, what is critical in all of this is the timeliness of our words. We therefore must pray for the Lord to grant us the wisdom needed to communicate our words in the most fitly spoken way. Fitly framed for the person and their circumstances we're engaging. So not only should our words be used in a thoughtful way, but also in a timely way. Again, we need to, we need to say the right word, at the right time, in the right way. And that takes the wisdom of God. Because none of us can run off hastily and achieve that on our own. We can't. We're not that smart. We need God's wisdom. Well, thirdly and lastly, our words should be used in a truthful way. In a truthful way. Not only thoughtful, not only timely, but truthful. All that proceeds from God bears the stamp of truthfulness. All that proceeds from God bears the stamp of truthfulness. This is why we're told in both the Old and New Testaments that God is not a man that he should lie and that he therefore never lies. In fact, as Hebrews 6.18 says it, it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible. So then everything God is and everything God says is trustworthy because it is absolutely true with not a shade or hint of falsehood. The eternal triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are nothing but truthfulness. They are the truth. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. They are the truth. Nothing else but the truth then can proceed 
from the words and deeds of God. Now, understanding this about God, it should not surprise us to see in the book of Proverbs that when it comes to the way in which God's wisdom teaches us to use our words, it must always be in truthfulness and never in falsehood. In fact, as God's people, who thereby represent the true God, we should have the reputation, according to 3 John verses 3 and 4, as those who are walking in the truth. As those who are walking in the truth. This means then that with our words we will steer clear of those sins of the tongue which the book of Proverbs admonishes us to stand against. For example, there is the sin of acting as a false witness. The sin of acting as a false witness. Proverbs 12, 17 tells us that whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. The testimony of a truthful man can be trusted because he gives honest evidence. What he says can be proven. What he says can be verified. What he says can be corroborated. But a false witness has no such evidence, but only lies. And thus he works to deceive those he's witnessing to. Whoever or whatever it is he's testifying to, listen, it is with an evil motive to smear the reputation of whoever is on trial, whether in a legal court or in the court of public opinion. And because lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, as Proverbs 12, 22 states, is it any wonder that a false witness will not go unpunished as Proverbs 19, verses 5 and 9 asserts? God will not let a false witness go unpunished. To act as a false witness is to seek to slander the reputation of others by telling lies about them in order to destroy their name. The sin of the tongue makes its way actually into the moral law of God as the, ninth com- as the ninth commandment, which says in Exodus 20 and verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, that's in the top ten. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It is this very sin which marks the devil himself. As a malicious slanderer. In fact, that's what, the, that's what the very name, the very term devil means. A devil is a malicious slanderer. So if we're to use our words in a truthful way, we will avoid at all costs the sin of slander, which is the sin of acting as a false witness. But another sin of the tongue that Proverbs warns us against is the sin of gossip. The sin of gossip. Now, before I move any further in your study notes, I need to add something to this. Before we look at what gossip is, we need to first see what gossip is not. What gossip is not. Now, what I have here in my hand is actually an article that I wrote on my pastor's blog on our church website. Yes, Pastor Kurt has a blog. None of you read it. So as I'm writing all the heresy that I am on that blog... You will never know it because you never read it. 
and that is my reverse psychology method to get you to go read the blog. But anyway, I wrote an article a few years ago on this blog, two articles about gossip, okay, about gossip. And the first article is explaining essentially what gossip is. But in the introduction to this article, I lay out three important statements that teaches us what gossip is not. And we need to be as clear on this as we are on what it is, okay? Because you see, this is a sin that a lot of Christians, frankly, misunderstand. All right? So, in the first place, the sin of gossip is not committed when we're having casual conversation about other people who are not present. If this were gossip, imagine how quickly our conversations would be limited and even cease to exist. This is where we have to be realistic. We live in a world full of people we know personally, are acquainted with, or hear about from afar. It is not possible for all such people to be in our presence every time we may bring up something about them in a benign conversation. To restrict the meaning of gossip to such a maddening rule is in many respects denying both our humanity and the world wherein we live. Moreover, it is laying a burden on us all which none can carry and God's word itself does not warrant. So if you're having casual conversation about someone who is not in your presence, that is not gossip. That is not gossip. Okay? And that's something, frankly, we do all the time, right? We were having casual conversation tonight about people of the Southern Baptist Convention, the vote they took, Rick Warren being kicked out, blah, blah, blah. We were not gossiping. Okay? Number two, the sin of gossip is not committed when we have to warn others of false teachers or divisive people who are not in our presence. The sin of gossip is not committed when we have to warn others of false teachers or divisive people who are not in our presence. We see this practice repleting God's word. For instance, how often did our Lord Jesus himself warn his disciples in private of the scribes and Pharisees? Or what about the Apostle, the Apostle Paul warning Timothy in a letter of men like Hymenaeus and Philetus or Alexander the coppersmith? And then there's the Apostle John who warned a local church in a letter of a man named Diotrephes who likes to put himself first and does not acknowledge our authority. What these examples prove clearly is that calling people out by name and warning others of their doctrine or conduct, which is destructive, cannot be classified as the sin of gossip, even if such persons are not present while the warnings are being expressed. My friend, if that's gossip, then Jesus was guilty. The apostles were guilty. But that is not gossip. Let's be clear. The last thing that we need to understand about what gossip is not, the sin of gossip is not committed when in the process of church discipline you have to involve other church members or the church as a whole to charges of sin against another fellow member. Now this point is crucial. Christians who misunderstand gossip as reporting anything negative about another person cannot carry out the plain instructions and imperatives of corrective church discipline as taught by Jesus Christ in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Yet sadly, this is why in many respects there is no church discipline practice in local churches for this reason right here. Christians misinterpret the command of Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, to mean that we can only say positive things about others, thus overlooking 
to the point of ignoring, if not denying, the sins of those who are grieving the Spirit and destroying the church. This is a tragedy on so many levels. But a large cause of this tragedy is a warped and distorted idea about gossip. It's that twisted idea that says, if you don't have anything nice to say about someone, then don't say anything at all. We've all heard that, haven't we? Well, I have news for you. Um, that is totally unbiblical. In fact, let me go so far to say this. That axiom is secular. It is not Christian. It is secular. There is nothing Christian about that axiom. It flies, <clears throat> listen, it flies in the face of how God has revealed the necessity for sin to be confronted, challenged, and corrected in the church. And to do this God's way, guess what? You're going to carry out church discipline God's way? You're going to be obedient to what God says? Well, you have to address people in their sin and even warn others about their sin if they're unrepentant, whether they're present or not. So that is not gossip. That is not gossip. Now, as I say here in this article, it should be obvious by these three clarifications as to what gossip is not that I've emphasized a recurring motif, this point, uh, regarding the actual physical presence of the person under discussion. The reason for my emphasis here is because I saw personally the majority of a local church come under the delusion that if someone is not physically present, then they cannot be brought up in a conversation. What made this fallacy, however, so destructive and even insidious is that it was spawned by a church elder as some bizarre policing tactic to bind the conscience and tongues of church members from committing what he wrongly believed was gossip. And despite how I and other pastors stepped in to override this ill-founded concept, the damage had been already done. To this very day, the members who left this church are still carried away by this bogus idea that gossip is when you say anything about another person in the absence of their presence, especially if their sins are reported. Yeah, that's actually a thing. There are Christians who believe that absurdity. That is not gossip. That is not gossip. So, what then is gossip? What is it? Well, go back to our study notes here. While slander seeks to ruin someone's reputation through lies, gossip takes those lies and spreads them through the rumor mill to other people. Proverbs 26 and verse 20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. The term whisperer is the biblical word for a gossip. The root meaning of this word in the Hebrew means a tale bearer. This is someone whose commodity is never in truth, but lies. Hence, a gossip is a rumor monger. They are a rumor monger. Their expertise is in the spreading of false reports, which God categorically condemns in Exodus 23 and verse 1. Moreover, they live upon scandal for their own selfish reasons, making it their malicious business to carry about tales to defame someone's character. And their aim in this endeavor is manifold. Matthew Henry said of the gossip or tale bearer that they do this to stir up and divide the best of friends, sowing discord in families, churches, and societies. Yet what is most devastating in the wake of the gossip's false report is that it works itself deep in the memory of those who hear it. This is why Proverbs 26, 22 says of the gossip's words that they are like delicious morsels. They go down deep into the inner parts of the body. As one writer said in this regard, 
Although we may try not to be influenced by what we've heard, it's hard to put it out of our minds. And we all know that to be true. We all know that to be true. Tragically, this is how gossip retains its power to divide and conquer. Adding further layers to this fact, Charles Bridges wrote, We may seem to make light of the tale brought to our ears and wholly despise it, but the subtle poison has worked. We muse to ourselves, suppose it should be true. Perhaps, though it may be exaggerated, there may be some ground for it. The thought indulged only for a moment brings suspicion, distrust, and coldness, and often it ends in the separation of chief friends. So here is the practical pastoral question. How do we avoid the sin of gossip in both ourselves and others? I'm going to give you three major applications here. First, we must put the fire out. We must put the fire out. We must refuse to be the next link in the gossip chain, the next bit of fuel that builds the flame higher. If we refuse to pass on gossip, we effectively stop its advance For gossip can only destroy if it is continually fueled. So put the fire out. Second of all, we must refuse to listen to gossip. Now this one's going to hurt. Proverbs 17 verse 4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. If we only listen to gossip, we lie to ourselves that we are not involved. We lie to ourselves that we are not involved. The truth is, those who listen to gossip without rebuking the gossiper is both tolerating the evil and sharing in it. On this point, one writer insightfully admonished, and I love this, follow with me on this. He said, be careful what you listen to. A person can become a garbage collector. Someone in the group becomes the one to whom disgruntled people go because that person will listen and sympathize and be a shoulder to cry on and a rallying point for complaints and a hero to those with hurt feelings. And that listener becomes a bigger problem in the group than the talker's. So listen to me, church. Don't be garbage collectors. Don't be garbage collectors. You know why it's so easy for us to be garbage collectors? It's because of the fear of man. That's why. The fear of man in us who, who instead of taking the loving boldness to say to this person, stop. Stop. I don't want to hear another word of this. If you have not spoken to this person about this matter, it's time now to go and speak to them. It's time to address the matter. We have got to have the courage and the boldness and the love enough to say to this brother or to this sister, I'm not doing you any good. You're not doing me any good. To continue rehashing Or, maybe it's not rehashing, maybe it's the first time you've heard this. But they have done nothing about it biblically that they should. 
they're, they're not recognizing what Proverbs 26 says, that open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. So we have got to be so careful, all of us, not to be those sympathetic garbage collectors. And nearly every Christian I know, including myself, we have all been guilty here. We've all been guilty here. And it's tough. This is a tough one. It's a tough one. Because we, we actually lie to ourselves in thinking, but we're, we're, we're doing them good. But we're not if they're not doing what they need to be doing to correct whatever the situation is. We need to help them to do that, but not just be a sounding board. And see, that's it. Don't be a sounding board to gossip. That's a tough one. That takes a lot of sanctification. A lot of sanctification. Third of all, before you share anything with someone about someone else, ask yourself, is it true and will it be beneficial to this person's spiritual health? If we can't say yes to such a question, then we need to keep our mouth shut. But let me go further. Back to my blog article okay, on gossip. I actually give more questions in this article, and these are tougher. Okay? So, listen. Is what I'm about to say true? Is it the whole truth? The whole truth. Am I dealing with facts? Or is this hearsay or conjecture? Will what I say, and this is a toughie, this is a tough question here, will what I say impugn anything evil to this person's motive which I cannot see but God? If what I'm about to report is true and not impugning any evil to this person's motive, then how necessary is it for the other person to hear this? Will what I'm reporting so discord against this person, will what I'm reporting stand under careful scrutiny and investigation? In short, can my report be proven? And how many Christians do you suppose are that thoughtful? <laughs> Whoever they are, they're, in, they're, so, they're so far in the minority, we can't even see them. But this is what the wisdom of God teaches us. This is how we have to, have to be thoughtful. Okay? Well-chosen words. Ponder how to answer. Ponder how to speak. Also timely. How timely, you know, is this a fitly spoken word? Is this a word in due season? And is it therefore truthful? The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. Is it all of that? I see for, for all of you here tonight, you're thinking, where's the rest of the church to hear all of this? This is abuse, Pastor. This is abuse. Well, you can spread the report. You need to listen to Pastor Kurt's sermon, and that's all I'm saying. You just need to listen to it. Beloved, there is no sin that can destroy an entire church quicker than gossip and slander. 
I have seen that firsthand. I've seen the doors close on a local church because of that sin. It is that destructive. It is that destructive. Now, I am thankful. I am so thankful that here at Providence Reformed Baptist Church, as of today, <laughs> I'm being so careful in how I say this, as of today, the sin of gossip is not, is not like the dominating, pervasive sin in this church family. Now, does that mean that no member of this church gossips? No, that it does, I'm not saying that. But, I, but what I am saying, and I'm, and I'm thankful to say this, as of today, this is not a sin that is running rampant in our church family that is, that is working and sowing discord among the members. So I thank God for that. Nevertheless, we all have the propensity to fall. We all have the propensity to get caught up and carried away in the sins of the tongue and so the wisdom of God's word stresses to us how we need to communicate with our words. Because even for the introverts, even for the introverts, they still talk. They still talk. Now, maybe only once a month, but they still talk. They still communicate. So we have to be guarded with our speech. And the book of Proverbs teaches us that the one who guards his mouth and tongue, guess what it says? He keeps himself out of trouble. Hmm. Well, amen. So... We all need to make a concerted effort by the grace of God working in us to guard our mouth and our tongue. That we have words that are thoughtful, words that are timely, words that are truthful. Pray for the Lord to sanctify you more and more in how you communicate with other people. We're to do all to God's glory. That's the command of Scripture. So am I glorifying God with how I use my words? That's a fair and legitimate question. And it's a question we need to ask ourselves every day. I've told you this many times, and it's fitting to say it here and to, uh, and to close this study with this. What Pastor Kurt prays for himself every day, and what Pastor Kurt prays for the church family of Providence Reformed Baptist Church every Lord's Day every Wednesday is this Psalm 141 and verse 3 set a guard O Lord over my mouth keep watch over the door of my lips make that your prayer make it your prayer because we all communicate whether little or much, we, we're all communicators. And so we, we need to make that petition of King David our own petition. This is the word of God. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. I need it, you need it. Let's pray. Our Holy Father... Your word truly does have much to say to us about the use of our words. 
And rightly so, since you teach us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And how many people, Lord, in our lives have been built up and edified and made stronger because of the words we have spoken to them. And yet, on the other side, Lord, how many people have been torn down, have been hurt, have been harmed because of our words, because of what we have said or communicated to them. Father, we plead in earnest tonight that indeed you would set a great guard over our mouth, that you would not let us, by the power of your grace, say those things that would grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, that corrupt communication, especially the sins of slander and gossip. Oh God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will guard our tongues from such evil. And we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would make us more conscientious after this teaching tonight to be a people of God whose words are thoughtful, timely, and truthful. I pray, Lord, that you would protect your church, your people here at Providence from those horrible sins of slander and gossip that have the grave potential of tearing a local church apart. I thank you, Father, for your protection thus far. But I continue to pray in earnest that you will keep guarding us from those sins, gaining a foothold in this fellowship of your people. We plead with you, Lord, for your mercies to visit us in a great and demonstrable way for the purpose of our sanctification in this matter of how we use our words. We trust in you with all our heart for this and that for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.